Notice they put this thing on a new cart. There was no effort. It was very easy. Do you understand? It was very easy to, to transport this thing now. They could put it on a bullet train and get it from here to Beijing in you know, not a short amount of time. It would it'd be easy. But is real worship, is real worship easy? Is it convenient? Every creature is unique in a song that it sings. All exclaiming, indescribable. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Transporting the ark on a cart was against God's specific command. The ark was designed to be carried and was only to be carried by Levites of the family of Kohath. God wanted the ark to be carried because he wanted nothing mechanical about the ark representing his presence. The ark was nothing less than the burden of the Lord, and the burden of the Lord was to be carried on the hearts of the Levites. We can imagine that these men thought that God would be very pleased at their fancy new cart. They thought that the new technology or luxury could cover over their ignorant disobedience. Now here's Pastor Rob. Some people believe that it's actually buried under the foundation of the Temple Mount today, which is very possible. There's a lot of labyrinths and a lot of places where it could be there hidden behind rocks. You just never know. It's, some people believe it's in Ethiopia, which I don't really believe that's the place. But either way, the Ark of the Covenant is MIA right now. Nobody knows where it is. And so this time frame, really, um, you know, it was in the possession of the Philistines for seven months. It tells us that in 1 Samuel chapter 6. And then it goes to Abinadab's house in Kirjath-Jerim. It's there for 20 years. It tells us that in 1 Samuel 7, verse 2. And then after this initial attempt that we read already tonight, David tries to bring it to Jerusalem, the death of Uzzah. He takes it into the house of Obed-Edom, and it's there for three months. While David is scratching his head, he's praying, he's examining himself. Why, Lord, did you allow this to happen? And then finally he understands what the problem was. He corrects the condition and finally brings it into Jerusalem. And there's a great joy, and we'll read about that um, in this chapter. But, um, and so let's go ahead and look at it. Notice in verse 1, it says that David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. Now why would he gather that many men to go get the ark? Well, the answer is quite simple. Kirjath-Jerim is, is, is west of Jerusalem, uh, roughly 10 miles. It's closer to the Philistine boundary or the, the border of the, where the Philistines are. So David's thinking, if I'm going to go bring this thing and the Philistines hear about it, 
they're going to come after us. So I'm going to make sure I got my bases covered. So he has all these men go with him in case there is a skirmish of some kind. David's like, this ark will not be taken from us again, right? We're going to bring this thing back home where it belongs to be. And so David arose, verse 2, and, went, and with all the people who were with him from baal Judah. This, this name of this town, baal Judah, is really Kirjath-Jerim. That's the name of the place. It's, it's known by both of those names. And so they want to bring up the ark from there, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, the Jehovah of hosts. This is the, the, the name of God. I, I love this idea because there's really no greater name than the name of Jehovah, right? There's no greater name among, among men whereby we must be saved, but by the name of Jesus Christ. But the name of God is, is so important. It speaks of his uh, of his character. It speaks of who he really is. The manifestation of all that God is. That ark signifies that. It symbolizes that. The very presence of the creator of the universe. And so they're going to bring that. Notice, who dwells between the cherubim, where the blood sacrifice is placed. That's where he dwells, and that's where he meets us. Right? That's why the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus, is so important to us. Because that's where we met him, is at the cross. There's no way you can meet Jesus any other way. You can't crawl up the wall to reach God some other way. There's no other way you can get to him but through the blood of Christ. No other way. And so they set the ark on a, of God on a new cart, verse 3. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, notice they drove the new cart. Underline new cart. <laughs> it's really important that you get this, and I think most of you know where we're going with this tonight. But notice it was a new cart. A new cart. God permitted the Gentiles, who were ignorant of God's ways and his methods of doing things, they were completely unaware of that. And God allowed the Philistines to get away with this, but he wouldn't allow his own people to get away with it. He was, I believe God was going to allow it in his grace, but there came a point, we'll look at this tonight, where they crossed the line, they went too far. And that's when God says, I can't, that's a line I can't allow. And I love this because he even allowed, God allowed his own people, even though they were instructed hundreds of years prior how the Ark of the Covenant should be carried, how it should be traveled. He told them in advance. And yet for some reason, at this point, they were kind of like not aware of that. And, and I think the reason is very is easy. You know, Where did they learn to move the Ark around with a cart and oxen? The enemies of God. The enemies of God. Remember, they saw the ark coming. The men of Beth Shemesh are looking up in the distance, and they see the, the, the cows coming, and the, they're yoked together, and they look, and they're like, what is that? And on a cart, a brand-new cart, it comes to them, and nobody was hurt, nobody was harmed. They, they take it off the cart. The Levites do. They're in um, Kirjath-Jerim. They take it off, and nobody seems to be harmed, and... And so they're thinking, you know, if the Philistines can do it, we can do it. I mean, after all, isn't it easier to take the jet airplane over the ocean rather than riding a bike? So much more convenient to put it on a cart. Maybe even strap on a little motor on the back. 
Low emissions, of course. Much more convenient to pull it by a cart. Get there, gets there a lot faster. Much easier, too. Easier on everybody except the cows. Right? Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 6. This is where they learned to do it. This is where the Jews had learned to do it. Even though they knew better, I think as time went on, you know, the ark really hadn't been something that, that had really been in their life for quite a while. So it's easy to forget. And, and, and I can say this from, of myself. When you're not used to doing something and you haven't really been thinking about something for a while, you tend to lose a little bit of what it was about and how it should be used. I was reminded that uh, yesterday as I had this uh, power washer that I was going to power wash something. And it had been in my basement prepared and set up, you know, winterized and everything in the basement and a year goes by and I never I haven't used it so I had to get out the manual when I got it out again <laughs> you know I had to get it out and I had to read it because I haven't been dealing with it and the same thing with the people of God they it was um, kind of out of their mind out of sight kind of thing for quite a while so notice in verse first uh, Samuel chapter 6 beginning in verse 7 notice this is where they learn about it from their enemies it says and, and this is the advice of the Philistine priests and the diviners. You know, after the emeralds and the, the boils had been breaking out on the people of, of, of the Philistines, you know, the diviners and the priests say, therefore, make a new cart. This is, what, this is how you're going to get it out of here. Do this. Make a new cart. Make two milk cows which never have been yoked and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them. Then take the ark of, of the Lord and set it on the cart. Put the articles of gold which are returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by its side, and then send it away and let it go. And watch, if it goes up the road to its own territory, to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us this great evil. But if not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us, and it happened to us by chance. So they were very superstitious. And then the men did so. They, they, they hooked up the two cows. They put it on the new cart, shut up their calves, and they set the ark of the Lord on the cart with the chest and the golden rats and the images of their tumors. And the cows headed straight for Beth Shemesh. And so just stopping there, this is where the children of Israel learned it. And it's, it's interesting, I find, that oftentimes even we as Christians, you know, we have to be really careful because... Sometimes uh, people who don't know the Lord or just our culture has that effect on us. We see them doing something and we think, well, I, have the, I can do that too. I can still drink alcohol. I can still smoke cigarettes. I can still hang out in bars like, like, like those who don't know Christ. And unfortunately, we learn these things. And we've been learning them since we were young. We, we have this nature, this old nature built within us. But we have to be very careful that we stay close to the Lord and not allow ourselves to be learning from the world, but rather have the, the world learning from you. Right? So God wasn't going to let the Israelites get away with this because they were told in the, New, in the Old Testament. Excuse me. Turn with me to Exodus chapter um, uh, 25. And we're just going to look at a few verses before we go on. Exodus chapter 25. You're not used to flipping in your Bibles, are you? I usually just read it to you, but it's good for us to go here. Exodus 25, beginning in verse 10. 
God gives them the prescribed way that the Ark of the Covenant was to be moved. In fact, all of the articles in the Holy of Holies, in the Holy Place and in the Holy of Holies, they were made with golden rings on the, on the outside corners. So that these things, all of the articles in there were overlaid with gold. They were all made of acacia wood. They were supposed to be borne on these poles, these acacia wood poles, overlaid with gold, put on the shoulders of the Levites, and that was the only way that they were to be transported. And they weren't even able to touch those things. Even the Levites weren't to touch them to open the ark and look inside and see the two tables of stone written with the finger of God. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that? There was no chisel marks, do you understand? That, that would mean the work of a man's hand. I, I bet it was in some kind of script and it was just like a laser with God's finger. I don't know, I just, I love, I get carried. Is, is anybody weird like that? I, I'm weird like that. Okay, one person. Okay, great. All right, we'll have lunch later. <laughs> Yes, but look at Exodus 25, verse 10. It says, and this is what God says, They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and out you shall overlay it, and shall make on it a molding of gold all around. And notice, verse 12, You shall cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in its four corners, Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side, and you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark that they may be carried by them. So, And it tells us in other passages that the Levites were to do that. Not just anybody was to carry this. These were the Kohathites, the, uh, a strain of the Levites. And what I think is interesting is it seems that the Lord in his mercy might have allowed it to be transported this way had it not been for the ox stumbling and Uzzah putting his hand on the ark. And it seems that this action was the final straw for the Lord. He, you know, and, and I love that about God. There, there's, he's a God of grace, right? Many people see the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament as two separate gods. You know, The one in the Old Testament was just smoking people, just killing people. And then the, the one in the New Testament is, is, you know, oh, it's okay, and, you know, there's no problems, you know. And, uh, but, but they're not. They're one and the same. The same God over all things. And can you see the grace of God in this? They weren't even supposed to be hauling it like this, and God allowed it. And David, on his first attempt, as we're reading tonight, he's dancing before the Lord. And I bet the Lord in his heart was just so pleased with David and the heart of the people. They were really excited. They were doing the, a right thing in a wrong way, but their heart was right in it. But there came a point, and I think they could have brought that all, that all the way to Jerusalem, and God may have not have said a word to them. But there was a line that was crossed, and that was when the oxen stumbled, and, or uh, the wheel hit a rock or something, and the thing began to tip, and... Uzzah, it was probably a natural reflex, perhaps. He reached up to steady the ark, and he put his hands on it, and God smote him, killed him right there on the spot. And that's hard to understand, but there is a line. There's a line that God will not cross. And that line was made known, made known that day. But notice that God is a God of grace. Even still, even though they did it in, in error, in ignorance, 
even though they knew, but they had forgotten. They did it in ignorance, I believe. And I believe that's true because of the way David responded after. He says he feared the Lord. He was angry. He didn't understand why. And if he didn't understand why, then he was truly not thinking about it, correct? And nobody else was either. I mean, the ark had come to them on a, on a new cart. Why not bring them, the, you know, much more convenient, much more convenient, there's a phrase uh, that's in the Bible. It says, to whom much is given is much required. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And that's in Luke's gospel. But God is a God of grace. He's a God of grace. In fact, Hebrews tells us, doesn't it, that he, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, he changes not. He's immutable. He cannot change. We change, and thank God for that. I pray that every one of us are continuing to change, but he cannot change. He can't learn anything because he's omniscient. He knows all things. And I love that about God. Do you understand there's no being in the universe like him? Even the devil. Some like to elevate the devil higher than what he really is. Make no mistake, he's a powerful being. There's no doubt about it. And apart from God, we are toast against him. But with Christ, we are more than conquerors. In fact, Jesus, uh, the apostle, would say, greater is he that is in you. The Spirit of God indwelling you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Satan is a created being, a very intelligent and very uh, cunning, very deceptive, very good at what he does. My Lord, he is good at what he does. And everybody falls for the same thing. And for over several thousands of years now, we've all done the same thing. And we keep doing the same things. He doesn't even need to bring out his palette and say, I'm going to choose a different color. No, he's got the primary colors there. He'll fall for that one. And he does. She'll fall for that one. And she does. And then so on it goes. So on it goes. And it's just like, oh my goodness. (laughs) The same bag of tricks. But Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And it brings me to this point is that God is a God, um, or the, the heart of worship is sacrifice. Notice they put this thing on a new cart. There was no effort. It was very easy. Do you understand? It was very easy to, to transport this thing now. They could put it on a bullet train and get it from here to Beijing in you know, not a short amount of time. It would it'd be easy. But is real worship, is real worship easy? Is it convenient? I find that real, true worship costs something. It always costs something. And at the heart of worship is sacrifice. Never forget that. I I hope I never forget that. Because if I worship God with my abundance, and it doesn't hurt me a little bit, I have to ask myself, am I really worshiping? And what what do I mean by that? You know, to make a statement like that, think of Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham was up there on Mount Moriah and God says, Take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. And he goes to do it. And he's literally got Isaac tied down, who was much able to overpower his older father at that point. And he pulls up that knife and God intervenes. And Abraham knew that, Lord, if this is you and you wanted me to do this, you've got to do something because you made special and unique promises to me about my seed and the seed after me and that my seed and the seed after me, that that all the nations, through me, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And even the promise of the Messiah coming through my line. Do you realize how much was at stake there as, as, as Abraham raised that knife of flint to thrust in the chest of his son? 
That's, that's worship. You know what he was doing? He was saying, all the things that you've promised me, God, are at this moment, and I'm willing to just let it all go if that's really your heart. And the, fa- the thing that blows me away is that he knew the voice of God that well. You and I, sometimes I think, well, I think I heard the voice of the Lord, right? But no, he knew the voice of God. He had had that relationship with God, and he knew the voice of God. And I pray that myself and for all of us, that we know the voice of God and that we know it's not just something in our own thoughts that we're thinking. No, but to really know the voice of God and then to act on the voice of God and then for it to be what God wanted it to be. And he blesses us. And he blessed Abraham for that act of obedience, which was complete, uh, a bizarre thing, because Abraham knew that that's the reason that, he was gonna, that God was going to curse the Canaanites, because they did this kind of stuff. They did the, the human sacrifice. This was all pagan. So was that an act of worship? You better believe it was. He put everything on the line. He was going to take out his own son, and then he said, Lord, if I do this, I know you're going to have to do something. And, and when he interrupted, when God interrupted Abraham, Abraham realized that this was a picture. This was a type of something that was going to happen in the future. And we know that another father would do the same thing to his son on that same place, except this time he would follow through with it. Because Jesus was the only one who could die for our sin. So Abraham was, was like going through an act. I mean, it was a really serious thing to him, but God knew what he was going to do, and he knew what that event would foreshadow. That was a huge act of worship. What about in Mark chapter 12? You don't have to go there, but I'd write it down. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Remember the widow, as Jesus is in, the, in Solomon's temple, and he sees all the wealthy fat cats coming by with all their wads of hundreds, and they just throw them in the thing, and they make sure that everybody sees them, right? Everybody look at me. Now everybody's looking. Now I can put my big wad with a rubber band around it, and I got the bennies, you know, on the outside. Everything underneath is ones, but I got the benny out in front, and I hold that up there. Check this out, and then I put it in the thing. And then the Lord sees this elderly woman who just had equivalent to a couple of cents. She had a couple, you know, two mites, very insignificant copper coins, and it's all she had. So she puts them in, and what did Jesus tell his disciples? He nudged them and said, hey, see what she did? He said, they put in, of all their abundance, they got plenty more in the bank. That was, that was a drop in the bucket for them. But notice what she put in. That was all her living. Was that worship? Was that sacrifice? Yes, it was. And the Lord had respect to the woman and her worship. It's all relative, isn't it? Sometimes when I worship in song, you know, sometimes it can be a sacrifice of praise because my heart is not in it. Maybe I've come from the workplace, and I remember when I worked at Xerox, coming here and then leading worship, and my mind is overflowed with so many things, and I'm distracted, and I'm like, some, some days I felt like I was just going through the motions. I was just singing the songs and playing the chords, and I'm like, Lord, I have no idea what's happening here, if anybody's going to... And it's funny that the times where I was clueless... The people were worshiping. And I realized it has nothing to do with me. I mean, it's good that if I worship the Lord, I'm genuine in it. But even in my absent-mindedness, God blessed my sacrifice of praise. Because it was never about me to begin with. But he used me, even though I was not completely engaged. Maybe by the last song, I started to warm up (laughs) in my heart. 
I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.